now they're making Ghostbusters with only women. What's going on? Shut up and sit down. We will respond with that timeless creed that sums up the spirit of a people. Yes, we can. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on Earth. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. Read my lip. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. Ah! I love the poorly educated. We're the smartest people. We're the most loyal people. I need a break. <laughs> when, when are things going to go back to normal? I'm so, I'm so ready for things to go back to normal. <laughs> Shootings and plane crashes and Twitter tirades and apparently Britain's just gonna be on fire for like the next several years. I'm tired, man. This is the new normal. Lake. I can't. <laughs> I just can't. I need so many drinks to just get me through the day now. Sometimes. Anyways, guys, um, Barstool Politics. I am your host, Nick McGuire, joined as always by Dr. Bill Muck from North Central College and Dr. Phil Barker from Keene State College. Hi, guys. Hey, Nick. Hi. Hi. Uh, before we get started, all the usual fun stuff. Uh, if you guys like the podcast, have questions, comments, beer suggestions, things you want us to talk about, uh, follow us on Twitter at Barstool Paul, P O L, Facebook at Barstool Politics. Uh, the podcast, find us on iTunes, Spotify, uh, SoundCloud, Google Play Music, Stitcher, most major uh, podcasting platforms. Uh, beers that we try, you can find on Untapped. Um, just look for Barstool Politics, and you'll find uh, reviews for all the beers that we try. Um, those were the big things. And then uh, Predicted. If you guys are new to the podcast or have been listening intently uh, for several weeks at this point, uh, or months, or years. We're actually in years. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Predicted is a, a real money political prediction market, uh, pretty much a stock market for politics where you can buy and sell shares in future political events. Uh, we use it all the time to uh, just kind of get the feel for what people are thinking about specific events, uh, presidential candidates and their chances. Um, and then, you know, you can make some money off of it, too, because you can buy and sell shares. It's a lot of fun. If you feel strongly about a Democratic primary candidate at this point, you, you've got to, because, like, all the prices are still pretty low, whether mm -hmm. it's Beto or Biden. This is the time to get your money in and then make a ton. Yes. So um, what's great, if you want to throw money into that dumpster fire early on, um, Barstool Politics listeners, uh, when you open up a, a new account, uh, predict it, uh, or I'm sorry, you'll receive up to a $20 match on your first deposit. So, for example, if you open up a $20 account, uh, Predict-It will match that $20, giving you $40 to use on Predict-It. Um, just use the promo link, predictit.org slash promo slash barstoolpaul20, uh, and check it out. It's a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Um... These are like there's some depressing topics in here, man. They're I good really ones, hope there's right. more than yeah. a few beers in that bag. <laughs> it's gonna get <laughs> so, somber. We'll start in Strap New Zealand. In. Yeah, I mean that's yeah. So okay, so in the uh, we've all been talking about the attack in New Zealand where 50 people were killed, another 50 wounded in shootings at two mosques in Christchurch. The prime minister called it one of New Zealand's darkest days. Uh, the shooter who streamed the attacks is a committed white nationalist who saw the attack as a way to advance his cause. This attack underscores a growing trend in violence carried out by white supremacy groups around the world. Uh, once again, President Trump struggled to directly call out far-right-wing uh, far nationalism. When asked whether he saw a worrying rise in white supremacy movements around the world, Trump said he did not. 
blaming a small group of people saying, quote, I think it's a small group of people that have very, very serious problems, I guess. Uh, as we all know, Trump has a very long history of anti-Muslim rhetoric, and the attack forces us to ask what role language plays in motivating this type of attack. Uh, Phil, the fi- rise of white, ring, uh, sorry, white nationalism movement is a truly gr- global dynamic. Uh, put this attack in the broader context. You know, uh, comparative politics scholars talk about this a lot. So, what's how do you what's your reaction to it all? Um, yeah, I mean, I think in the in the broad picture, when you look at at, at uh, the world, right, this is a growing thing, right? You've seen this in Europe, you've seen it in the U.S., you've seen it now in in New Zealand and other places. I mean, I think part of it has to do with uh, you know when you study the rise of violence, sort of extremist violence, whether it's white nationalism or you know, whether you go back and you're looking at the rise of sort of Muslim extremism or, or whatever, um, there's typically at the root of it, right, some sense of powerlessness or a fear of losing power. Um, and there's a lot of stuff going on in the world that contributes to that, right? And when you look at the idea of globalism, you look at, you know, economic issues, um, economic inequalities growing around the world, you have, there's a lot that sort of unmoors people or, un, or sort of uproots them from their kind of traditional life. And that's confusing. And so it's not surprising to see this sort of thing happening in lots of places um, around the world. I mean, it's it's a little... I don't know. I, I it, it's uh, I don't know if I should say that it's a little surprising to see it in in New Zealand, right? There there are certain places where we've kind of grown accustomed to seeing these sorts of attacks, and New Zealand's not on that radar. I think that's part of the reason, obviously, because of the the seriousness of it, but also because it, it, it and and I think it's also because it feels like us that it's part of the reason why there's been such a reaction in the U.S. that New Zealand sort of seems they look like us, they sound like us, more or less. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's, this is anytime you have that sort of uh, political and economic upheaval, that, which is the world we live in today. Right. This is we're going to this is going to be an issue that we have to deal with or address. That doesn't mean that it always is going to carry out through. It doesn't mean that it's inevitable that there will be this sort of violence. Right. We can talk about how to address the violence, but there's also this. Uh, broader question about how do how do you deal with the sense of alienation that a lot of people are feeling in the world, mm-hmm. especially in a world where now we're fully interconnected. That's <laughs> the other angle to this: is that this felt like the first really, I mean, maybe not the first, but this felt like this was the internet, uh, an attack on the internet as well, in terms of how it's all. It was you know, how he the was live used. streaming is crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that was another level. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's he was a he's an Australian citizen, correct? Yes, <clears throat> from yeah. my understanding, it couldn't have been someone from New Zealand. That's it's Lord of the Rings. That's where Hobbit this comes from. Everybody, yes. it's, it's just you wouldn't have They're that delightful. happen, right? Yeah. Um, it's it's an interesting dynamic. I, I I do think that there is an uptick in in white nationalism in in general, but I do think there's an uptick in violent behavior and kind of individual extremism as well uh kind of going along with you phil this sense of powerlessness that i think kind of comes from this um kind of coalescence and and and, um fuller understanding of the world order as it exists right now and a lot of people um around the world regardless of who is in power and who's not that feel alienated and isolated and that they they are not in control of their own lives I, i mean today there was an attack in, uh, I think it was the Netherlands. The Netherlands, yeah. Uh, three shot on the tram, and I, the shooter was a like 38, 39 year old 
uh, Turkish-born citizen, uh, and there are cursory reports saying that it's you know potentially terrorism-related. So I, I think that it's I, I think we hear a, a lot of uh, especially the the white nationalism nationalism rhetoric because. I think that kind of evinces itself, like you said. Yeah. It, this is, um, it's this is a global phenomenon, but we take to the elements that uh, kind of um, reflect back on us most, and I think that's what we see here most. Um, in other parts of the world, there there are other forms of it. Um, it's just a worrying trend, in my opinion. I think it's more of a rebuff against the global system as it exists right now. Sure. So. We've seen this. I mean, in some ways, we've seen, you know, Al-Qaeda use the Internet a little bit to connect with each other. ISIS was very social media savvy. I mean, they found ways of connecting people all over the world. I mean, ISIS was drawing in from every corner of the world in Afghanistan and, and Iraq. I'm sorry, Syria and Iraq. But we hadn't seen this out of white nationalism, right? They are now seizing upon these connections because apparently he had connected online to, to groups all over the world, had traveled, uh, and and his manifesto was was uh, referencing the, the pre some previous attacks by white nationalists. So it, it feels like there's this sense of community out there uh, empowering that. And that's I think that's different. We've seen it in Islamic extremism, but we hadn't seen white nationalism engage in this kind of social media, internet, live streaming stuff. It, that felt new right. to me. That's been going on for a. I mean, it, it's, yeah. it depends on what you mean by new. It's, I think, in some ways, relatively new. But yeah. going back to you know the uh, um, Charlottesville and some. I mean, there were there was yes. a lot of the organization. I mean, that's the the the, the sort of you know whatever white nationalist um, element has has used, and, and that's what this this is the difficult part about the world we live in today because. Uh, you want there's there's part of you that wants to just totally shun people like this, right? But when you shun them, you push them underground mm -hmm. at the same at yeah. the same time, right? And so the internet has allowed people who have mm -hmm. views that are not acceptable um, in public to find each other right. and create their own public. And so uh, it, it's yeah, I mean, I, you don't it it makes it it's not that that you shouldn't sort of shun or shame or, or stigmatize this sort of, of view. But, uh, you know, you, there's, you have to realize the, um, unintended consequences of that. Right. And so as, as this is, this is happening, people are finding each other, uh, and, and, and the internet allows us to, um, in some ways we're talking about how the, the world is, uh, dis disorienting or whatever. But um, the internet allows us to isolate ourselves in, in this sense, right? If you want to just surround yourself with white nationalists who, who affirm your belief, you can do that, right? You can sit at home on your computer and only talk to people who, who agree with those, mm -hmm. those views. And that, that's true everywhere, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's true of white nationalists. It's true of mainstream Republicans. It's true of mainstream sure. Democrats, yeah. right? We, we do that. We surround ourselves with people who, who affirm our, our views. And that's... Um, you know, that, that means that, I don't know, I, I don't know that challenging somebody like that, if somebody is so far down the road that they think that the solution to, to the problems is to go into a mosque and kill 50 people, I don't know that, like, talking to them or challenging them would have necessarily prevented that, but mm -hmm. uh, it probably would have been better than having them only talk to people who, you know, tell them that, yes, that is the way to deal with it. Well, you're seeing this kind of 
this gestation of, of internet culture uh, uh, that we've really only had for, I don't know, two decades at most at this point, and what it does to kind of just draw us back to our, our just kind of base instincts and, and, and impulses. And it's, I, it, like you wanna think that the internet is this thing that challenges people and makes you communicate with other cultures, and it's not that. It's it's It does the polar opposite of that. And it, it permeates every facet of our lives. You know, when you talk about lunatics like this who can find other lunatics like this, or just people that are, are, are just so hell-bent on their um, party affiliations in the U.S. that there's, there's just no middle ground. And it's only going to get worse if we don't do something about it. But I don't know what you do at this right. point to stop it, because it, silencing these people is realistically not going to do anything, because they're, they're going to find another way to do it. And there will be other elements that say, well, now you're silencing free speech. So I, I, I yeah. and they're on the sort of deep, dark, I mean, 8chan and those guys, I mean, those, they're, they're, they're hidden in the internet. So it's, uh, 8chan? Eight, yeah, 8chan. Can, 4chan? 4chan. <laughs> you double it, it's worth <laughs> old. <laughs> so can we use that? I mean, that, that seems like a good way to, to talk, to transition a little bit to talking about Trump's response and whether or not you know, rhetoric matters and whether or not his response matters and, and, and along those lines. Um, do you have a take on, on that? I mean, I, I guess what I, what I think is um, you're, you're right. You can't stop people from finding like-minded individuals if that's what they want to believe. But it's also where I think the rhetoric of Donald Trump matters, mm -hmm. right? So, uh, that, that's not to say that I, I'm not blaming him for this. We could get into that about whether or not his rhetoric has contributed to the rise of this. But it seems like such an easy, no-brainer kind of response here. Something like this has happened to come out and say, this is wrong. Um, and so if there are people out there, you know, assume they're crazy. If they are crazy and they're looking to, if they think that Donald Trump is supporting this and they're looking to him, it's easy to say this is wrong, right? It was such a sort of no debate type response for previous presidents that it's almost shocking to me that that his response has been that you know it's it's a small group of people and um you know he he's condemned this person but he's not condemning or saying that it's a problem with white nationalism in general do you do you do you see it differently than that am i wrong to yeah. think that it it matters I think that we should let's talk about the language in a second. But yeah, I think that to your first point, the perception, if whatever Donald Trump believes, and we can get to that in a second, the perception, if, if I am Donald Trump and I, I think that people perceive me to be sympathetic to white nationalists, I will want to come down hard to, to clarify that that is not the case, right? That's, and I'm always shocked when he doesn't do this. So he condemned the attack. But his language was very clinical. Uh, Ivanka had a, a much better statement, calling you know for support for Muslims, and, and it was it was the kind of statement that all presidents would make. And it's it's always a bit surprising that he he struggles when it's dealing with Muslims, where he doesn't do that if it's an attack on Christians. Um, you know, it, he comes out forcible. So if it's Islamic violence, he calls it out. He's very specific about we need to think about the motivations and why they're doing this. And he doesn't have that same drive when it comes. To the counterattacks, and I just I don't know why that's the case. It's it's. I mean, I don't think it's politically beneficial to him. Realistically, he knows where his bread is buttered. But I, you think so? <clears throat> but that's that 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 puts him in a more extreme position, right? I, I 
I don't think his supporters. I'm not saying it's are, right. I'm just saying the the reality of the situation. But his base is not entire. Is not white nationalist. No, right? it's I mean, not. They're, they're certainly, they're part of his base, but that's not his whole base. No, so. but it's one thing if he's if he's railing against Muslims, which you know mm-hmm. we can talk about that at some point. But if you're railing against you know the subjugation or um, persecution of Christians or Jews. That's going to get some support, yeah. not only from your base, but probably from a significant portion of conservative voters. Yeah, I, I, I just I don't think there's in his mind there's a tremendous amount of political capital there. But that speaks to that he doesn't want to move beyond his base, right? That he doesn't care about right. anything. Why would he? <laughs> he's not going to. He's not going to get reelected unless he can get um, some moderates. Yeah, we'll that's see. that's a whole other question. <laughs> um, Phil, I, I mean, yeah, it, go ahead. The the weird part though is that in. You you had there's two sort of reactions from the Trump camp that are sort of in juxtaposition here that I find sort of weird. One of which is Trump's sort of hesitancy to condemn white nationalism, right? Which this guy clearly is associated with, right? In his manifestos and whatnot, he's explicit about it. At the same time, the Trump camp is sort of is scrambling to distance themselves from this guy's manifesto. So he cites this, the, the attacker uh, cites Donald Trump, yeah. right? And, and so Kellyanne Conway was today, uh, today, yesterday on Fox News, encouraging people to read the guy's manifesto, mm. which is in oh. and of itself, like just right. terrible, but encouraging them to read his manifesto because her claim is essentially, if you read it, you realize that he, he's not really motivated by Donald Trump. So you have you have people within the Trump camp trying to to make the argument that you know they're afraid of being yeah. affiliated with the white nationalist side. They're trying to create distance and say that Trump is not to blame. While at the same, like, the easy way to do that is just to condemn them, yeah. right? So it, I don't. It's a it's a it's kind of crazy making to me. I don't I don't understand what they're doing, and I don't understand why it seems incredibly low cost and. It, it, for, for the president to do it. I, I hate I hate that we're even talking about sort of cost benefit analysis yeah. when you're talking about a guy who shot 50 people at a at a house of worship and it shouldn't even cost benefit analysis shouldn't even enter the mind, right? It's a terrible thing, condemn it. And that has to come from the president. It can't right. come from the aides. So Mulvaney, the acting uh, chief of staff was on what the talking shows on Sunday, and the same thing. He said, "This is absurd that you're calling the president a white supremacist," or you know that that conversation is out there. But if that's if that's your best defense, you're not going to win, right? You you don't want to lead with he's not a white nationalist. He's not a. I mean, you know, that's awful. But the president could make this job so much easier by just coming out and aggressively attacking this, and to say that. You know, we attack when uh, Islamic extremists engage in violence, we condemn it. When white nationalists engage in violence, we condemn it. And, and then he goes home. That's it, right? right. Uh, I don't know. He, that, that, that's the thing. Well, if he's not willing to do that, why is he not willing to do that? And maybe there's some political ramifications to it, but I don't know. It, it's just a bizarre, bizarre thing. And I think, I think it could hurt him politically, too. Yeah. I guess, man. It's this one's tough. Like, yeah. like realistically, you're you're right. This should be a very low cost situation for them to to get out of, or or at least find some sort of middle ground where they can just kind of skate away. But he does just kind of exacerbate the problem by doing nothing. And I'm they can only get away with that so many times. I think. Yeah. And this is this is a big one. And I'm not I'm not 
sure that their rhetoric is going to be enough. Well, especially given the president's history of what he has said. I mean, the, his. The, I mean, the. This is not partisan in any sense. I mean, he has said a lot of anti-Islamic things. Whether you know the the, the travel ban, you know, he's talked about Islam hates us. His his view is fairly clear on that. So if you've said language like this in these moments, you have to be crystal clear, and he has not done that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's why well, I and, think to this question of does his rhetoric matter? Absolutely, it matters. And and he should be aware of the way in which it matters. Well, I think that's where the you know so even if it doesn't, I, I think this is the, the the place where we we get so busy. It's not that we get busy. We see the world through our own you know eyes. And so the idea of whether or not the president condemns an attack on a mosque or not really doesn't make that much of a difference. It, it doesn't matter to my worldview, right? It doesn't change my view of whether this attack is appropriate or not. But I think if you put yourself in the mindset of some of the white nationalist fringe elements, I I think the idea of the president not explicitly condemning is significant, right? So that's where, um, you know, if you're looking at it from that view and this has happened and you're looking to, the president is asked directly about the rise of white nationalism and he doesn't condemn it and says, I don't think it's a problem. That means something to you when you're coming at it from that perspective. And I think we, we miss the significance of that when, you know, to us, it's not what the president says or doesn't say doesn't impact necessarily our view of it. But if you felt like you were in a fringe element of society and some president that maybe is supportive of that fringe element of society has risen to power and they're not condemning you, that starts to take on significance. Right. And that's where the condemnation I don't know. I, I, th- I think it's bigger than than we even realize. I think the, the importance of that. I think that's spot on because those that are in those movements realize that the president can't openly come out and support white supremacists. So what he has to so it feels to them like it's a wink wink. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know whether Trump is a white nationalist or not. I mean, we'd have to get in his head. I mean, certainly his rhetoric suggests that he's open to that perspective. And his actions. <laughs> right. Yes, right. So, but but in you know in his heart of hearts, if he's not, then that's why it's so important for him to condemn this because you're you're spot on, Phil. People will see that language and say he he can't say that openly, but this is a wink wink moment where he's sending a signal to us, and that's that's why his his response is so important. Hmm. <laughs> I think it is. Nick. I, I you're it. right. I, I don't I I don't disagree with you guys. My <clears throat> my question is, <clears throat> sorry. Um, I, I guess my my. My response to that is, I, I I agree that there should be forceful condemnation of any sort of action like this. Um, it, like, it, it, when when does it matter? Like, is it only because this is a situation that we are constantly involved in on a domestic level, where we're you know just bathed in it all the time, and that's why it's important? But we don't ask presidents to condemn you know, bombings in Afghanistan or Iraq where dozens of people die, hundreds of people die, or when we are droning people to death, you know, a hundred at a time, and nothing gets condemned, or the the Rohingya in Burma, why aren't we condemning that constantly? Sudan, um, Western Sahara, Algeria, why aren't we constantly condemning things? We should do that, all of those too, Nick, all of them. Right, so is that that our American exceptionalism coming out, that this is important to us because it reflects, quote-unquote, who we are, or is it because it's this particular guy and we need daddy to tell us that things are bad. 
So go ahead. Yeah, I, I, w- I would say that yeah, ideally we would condemn all of those things. But I, I think this one touches on an issue that is current in American politics. So, right. the, I mean, which is not to say that the Rohingya isn't, you know, isn't important, but it's not, you know, there, there's not, uh, based on the the president's response to that, there's not a likely impact domestically. I mean, this guy cited the president of the United States, right? So that does not mean that the president of the United States supports him or agrees with him, but that seems like that should be a really easy reason for the president to say this, I like 100% disagree agree i condemn condemn this um and so that like i I think i think you're right we should be speaking out about more things but this also i mean the the ramifications of the sort of movement that this guy is associated with are things that we're dealing with in the united states i mean if 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 you switched it around right um if you go with an example from the opposite side so i think about the guy I, I shouldn't use this example because I don't remember all the details, but there was a guy in Dallas a couple of years ago that shot a bunch of police officers, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, it was an African-American guy. Yeah. If he had issued a manifesto that referenced Barack Obama and like race, right? And that African-Americans have to, you know, sort of rise up and kill cops and that he was influenced by Barack Obama to do this. Um, Barack Obama might, that might be crazy, but it, it would be, like a no-brainer and important for Barack Obama to say this is wrong right if you think this is the message that I'm putting out there you are wrong this is not the right way to do it and so it seems to me like this in this instance again regardless of you know without even getting into what Donald Trump thinks um, when the guy cites him as part of the reason why this violence is you know appropriate or whatever it just it just seems like yeah that's the he you gotta you gotta say that's not i i 100 yeah. percent disagree sure so i i mean i guess and I, I really like i'm just i'm nitpicking at this point um just to play devil's advocate you, you brought up an interesting point earlier where kellyanne conway was saying that she wanted people to read the manifesto yeah we've said several times at this point that trump is cited in the manifesto uh as a, a reason for this guy's particular actions do we have any idea what the context of that is did anybody actually read the context well, of that was, scenario uh, you know I, I haven't read i haven't read it other than that he he said that he saw him as a uh, a symbol of white identity but he also was critical of trump and sounded like he said that he right that, you know he wouldn't want him leading the movement or something right so, so yeah realistically right. there's as much as yeah, i don't think his shit should be out there yeah. at all absolutely not but I think in this particular instance, someone saying that you should read it and see what they say, because he said a lot of bizarre shit in there against a lot of mm-hmm. bizarre people. Um, I think in that context, it probably does warrant not everybody should read it, but uh, especially in, in, in uh, from a media perspective, there should be an understanding of the totality of what yeah, he says. Right. Again, I don't I don't think anybody should really read it. But if we're going to make that statement, sure. make you know, a completely informed statement if you're right. in the media. The, the other the, thing the I critique would... of the critique of Kellyanne Conway is that she went on Fox News, yeah, right. like a nas- nationwide that, broadcast. Terrible. And said, sure. Everyone that's terrible. should read this. And the motivation yeah, was because Donald Trump's not responsible. It wasn't that anyway, so yeah, it was it was well, I, I agree. The, 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 <laughs> the other contrast that's important is that when it is Islamic terrorism, Trump does go there, right? He goes into the motivations. He says it's about Islam. He goes into the details. He pushes the conversation to say, mm-hmm. what is driving this this dangerous violence? And if mm-hmm. you're going to do that for one religious group, you need to do it for another 
identity group, right? I you agree. have, to, and I think you have to be consistent there. So I, 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 the idea that there's a lot of stuff that you can d- condemn, I totally get that mm-hmm. point. But if he's going to target one particular group, he's got to be consistent across the board to say, if we need to think more deeply about what it is in Islam that is inspiring this this terrorism, we also have to have that conversation about what's going on on the right wing nationalist violence, and and mm-hmm. also whether his language is playing any kind of role in that. Um, it's it's. It's a complicated issue, but I think it has to happen. Right? I, I yeah. completely agree. I just don't know in the world that we live in now and the fact that everyone is getting their information secondhand yeah. from social media and living in their own echo chambers. I don't know how you get to common ground at this point. It's such a good point because I was thinking this week about you go back to, to Hitler and Nazism and the emergence of that form of ex- fascist extremism. It was much more difficult. You know, now... all You, you had to, to go out. You right. had to go to beer halls. It was local, right? I mean, this is different. <laughs> when you can connect online, uh, it, it changes and it makes it much more easy. And again, to circle all the way back to Phil's earlier point, I think it's more likely we're going to see other groups of a variety of different you know, philosophies engaging in this kind of violence because they can connect to each other online. I, I remember vividly being in school when I was younger, and they, they always showed the same documentary about um, the Ku Klux Klan and white nationalism and how the, the current state of it, quote-unquote, uh, today at the time. And it was always like three or four just fat pieces of shit like in some town square and then some people around them like walking by and that was it like it was it was done and then this thing comes out of nowhere that allows all of these people whether you're a white nationalist or an islamic extremist or whatever weird fringe element that you ascribe yourself to you've now you've given them a voice and you're not like nobody is is doing anything about it when hamas has has twitter accounts and al-shabaab and all these terrorist organizations and nobody is doing anything about it it just seems from each other right i mean so al-qaeda al-qaeda kind of sucked on on social media and the internet but now it was still fledgling right right but now isis got (laughs) very very good at that and so the white nationalist groups will seize upon what they did well to pull people in i mean no i think this is you're absolutely right. This is very, very dangerous, and it feels like we're on the cusp of, of what's to come. Yes. Besides us, get off of social media completely, because <laughs> right. it's just dangerous. But we're pretty good, so you can you just just do that. Unfollow everybody else. We're good on the Twitter. Put all your followers yeah. into us. Just transfer. Should we talk about some beers? We should probably do all that. All right, Phil, <laughs> what are you drinking? So uh, this week I am drinking um, Resilience is the 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 brand um side part is the beer this is uh their variation on a session ipa so this is out of littleton new hampshire ipa Mm -hmm. yeah so this is shilling beer company i've had several several beers from shilling and then resilience is is sort of one of their i guess side projects or whatever um so this i mean this makes me think that uh i was thinking about how beer is sort of like art and that last week i had that peanut butter stout that was so highly rated and i just it was just not for me just not good and this beer is 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 rated highly but not as highly as that peanut butter stout and i this is just i just think this is fantastic i could just drink Mm. this all day long it's um uh, you know the 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 guy down at brutopia was saying that he you know he thought it was okay 
but it wasn't as like strong as he likes. It doesn't. It's got the hoppiness, the flavor of an IPA, but it's not as overpowering. It's like a sort of a step back from that, a little lighter. It feels kind of like a spring beer. It's Ooh. just. I, I'm just really enjoying it. I, I highly recommend it. That's good from Phil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nick, what are we having? We are having a uh, a blackout stout, uh, which is an imperial stout from uh, Great Lakes, which they make tons of good stuff. Uh, we were talking before we started recording. We're kind of getting into spring. It's yeah. you know we're getting that uh, things need to change, but um, <laughs> no, I, 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 Bill, you said like this was this was a good end to like the the oh. kind of dark wintry beers, um, and I I tend to agree. It um, it had a little bit of sweetness to it, yeah. but just enough kind of that stout bitterness where it was a it was just a good combination. It was it left a, a pretty noticeable aftertaste, but it was still it was still smooth yeah. somehow. Um, and and it looks like motor oil. So I, I'm it, which is um, in my opinion the way that this tastes and the fact that it looks like that is yeah. is really good. I, you know, so we've we've had a few bourbon stouts on the podcast, and those are always too boozy for me. This is just like, it's a nice sipping beer. It almost feels like a cocktail, but it's not, right? It's not boozy. It's just, you know, you. you oh, I, I really like this one. And I, mm-hmm. I felt like I was drifting towards spring until yeah. I had this. And I'm like, no, this is still good. <laughs> I, I got two more weeks of winter in me. <laughs> I can go for a cocktail. Yes. Um, speed rounds? Yeah, time oh, for speed rounds. Um, yeah, uh, the beers that we try, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, if you guys want to check out everything that we try, download uh, Untapped uh, on iOS or Android. Uh, just look for Barstool Politics, and you can find all of our reviews on there. Now we can do speed round speed because round. I did my thing that yes. I'm supposed to do. All right, so we're going to jump to airplanes now, Nick. So the U.S.'s <laughs> muddled and delayed response to the safety risks of the Boeing 737 MAX has raised concerns not just about airplanes, but also of American leadership. Around the world, the FAA has always been seen as the gold standard for air safety. Yet after the Ethiopian airline crash, many around the world have watched Washington's handling of the crisis with mounting alarm. The outcome, critics say, has undermined American credibility as the pace setter for global aircraft standards, while potentially ushering in an era in which international regulators, particularly those in China and Europe, assert growing clout. A prominent scholar in international relations, Stephen Seidman, uh, noted that, quote, smart friends of mine have pointed out that reactions to the 730 MAX might be an inflection point for U.S. hegemony. To me, this is fascinating. Phil, we're reading so, you know, it is. We've talked so much about, um, you know, whether it's what's going on in the United States and our leadership. Uh, does this shine some light on the changing nature of U.S. global leadership, or am I just being crazy here? Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> talking about airplanes. So, <laughs> I, 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 th- I think it does. So, I, I mean, I think the, the extent to which the U.S. You know, holds that position as global leader that sort of sets the tone for other people, the, the fact that we were kind of reacting after the fact I, could be explained by the fact that this is an American company. But in the past, that hasn't been the case. I, I think the question for me is, is this a challenge uh, does, is this reflective of the changing nature of American leadership, or is this reflective of the sort of global perspective on Donald Trump? And so th- that's that's the part that I'm not sure about, right? So when Donald Trump is gone and some other president is in place, will these sorts of debates or doubts about American leadership still 
stick around. You know, we we saw that a little bit in in that, uh, especially during the second term of George Bush, George W. Bush, there was a lot of doubts about American leadership, the international concerns about the role of the U.S. as you know the Western leader, and then Barack Obama is elected, and everyone sort of mm-hmm. you know changes their mind about it. And so, I, the the part I'm curious about is. You know, a few years from now, two years from now or six years from now, Donald Trump's no longer president. Um, The more you do this, the harder it is to bounce back. Right. Like as you do this over and over again, uh, the world is less willing to sort of bounce back to, yeah, America's a leader. We'll we'll look to them. And so that's the sort of long term question is how much damage has been done to American leadership over the long term versus right now there's a chance that the world looks at Donald Trump and they're like, well, you know, he, he didn't ground flights, whatever. Um, and, and so it, it, the question for me is how much of it is attributed by the global community to Trump versus how much of it is attributed to America? Yeah. That's interesting, Nick. Uh, here's why it's not. Okay. Um, so realistically, this comes down to the uh, safety issues with this particular plane. Uh, my understanding is that the FAA um, allowed Boeing engineers and Boeing personnel to act as uh, safety uh, regulators and personnel to write their own reports and safety regulations for this particular. That um, seems reasonable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this seems <laughs> no, more no, no conflict of interest there, <laughs> right? So this seems more like an instance of either, um, uh, what's the word? Um, Corruption. <laughs> yes, but there was another word before Malfeasance? I was going to get to corruption. Um, uh, of Billy? The <laughs> We're not playing Mad Libs. Let's calm the fuck down. Um, no, I, I think this was this is either an instance of an agency being spread too thin or of just blatant corruption, mm-hmm. which realistically, if you think China isn't going to do that and somehow supersede the hegemony of the U.S., you're out of your fucking mind. So I, I think that this is this is completely blown out of proportion at this point. This is an isolated incident of one particular aircraft that realistically everything should have worked perfectly if the system that we have in place, which is the system that the world relies on, was followed. It just happened to not be the case in this point. If regulators get their shit together and this is resolved, um, which I have no doubt it will be because it's such a public issue and Boeing is is losing money hand over fist in this particular situation. I I I I, I don't see this being a just uh, where the US is going to lose some sort of overall credibility because these two particular planes which were built by a private US company um went down uh, i i just i it, like, come on man u.s hegemony uh, of 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 air travel because of yeah <laughs> i don't think it's that the planes went down it's the way the u.s government handled it that they were like reluctant to 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 ground them right i mean right. that's what you're getting at right bill yeah right right well but, it, right. I, global leadership is a tricky thing right you're you're it's there until it isn't right and so it's it's all about trust and faith, and I, I totally agree with you, Nick. This is a small, tiny thing, but there are. It's a moment where the rest of the world can push back, and there might be spillover where this this is like one thing, but then in the future, now it's okay to challenge the United States on other things. So I, you're right. If 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 we said this is the end of American hegemony, no, that's that's ridiculous. But it, it is a sign of maybe future poking and prodding by the international community. 
Yeah, I take I take Steve Sademan's re- statement not to be that this changes U.S. leadership, but that this mm-hmm. is sort of reflective, right? Like in this moment, you can see the extent to which the international community is not necessarily sitting around waiting to hear what the U.S. does. They're acting anyway. So I, I don't I don't know that he would argue that this has changed the role of U.S. in international politics. It's that you can see what has been happening and sort of the changing perception of the U.S., um, over the past, I think you could say two years or you could say 20 years, but um, the, that what that this is illustrative more than sort of you know causal. It's not that this is actually changing mm-hmm. international politics. It's just showing the extent to which international politics has changed. Mm-hmm. And it might be an argument for reasserting <laughs> American hegemony and a whole host of other issues that we seem to be pulling back of, whether it's Syria, or climate or elsewhere, right? I mean, the, the, you're, you're right that there, there, there's a trend happening. And if we don't want that to occur, the United States needs to reassert itself. And realistically, the airplane wasn't, you know, designed and built over the past two years. So you're, this probably is a longer term issue at, at, yeah. at this point. So, I, I mean, the reaction of the U.S. and being slightly more hesitant to that and trying to gather facts about this, these particular instances doesn't come off to me as out of the ordinary. I, I mean, it's a big deal to ground an entire class of airline uh, of airliners. Um, I, I understand the the safety considerations, and obviously, it's it's tragic what has happened. But I, Europe immediately jumping on that bandwagon, and and other other China, areas, yeah, Canada. Brazil. Okay. <laughs> well, let's, let's. Well, you're the last one, though, Nick. That's the thing. You don't even be the last one to say yes. Uh, there's a problem I, here. <laughs> I'm t- I'm really I'm torn on this. I I've read some interesting articles about how you know Boeing sort of got itself into this position by the right. way they redid the 737 Max um, in a sort of a you know a cheap way. But um, yeah, I'm torn because it is. It's too too plane crashes which is you know it's a it's a lot for a relatively new plane but it's not that many considering how many flights there are so part of me is like this is reflective of our sort of irrational fear of plane crashes right like Mm -hmm. in the grand scheme of it this is uh still incredibly unlikely you know when you look at how many flights the 737 max takes but it's also it's also sort of disproportionately high mm-hmm. for a new plane, and so I I, I kind of go back and forth between thinking, hey, this deserves some investigation, um, and also maybe not the amount of panic that we've put into yeah. it well, at well, the same time. That's right. If this if if the FAA is being driven by data, and they're saying the data doesn't shouldn't cause us to overreact here, that's one thing. And I think you're right there, Nick. But I think the fear is that Donald Trump is part of this, right? You know, and that that causes us to question is like, is he? But there's no evidence no, of I that know, whatsoever. You're right. You're right. You're right. Uh, and the FAA has never been political in that way. And but but you're right. The undue influence of Boeing in here raises a couple interesting mm-hmm. questions. So it's that uh, old Dennis Miller joke: air air travel is the uh, the safest method of travel. But you don't see two airliners that crash getting out and exchanging insurance information. That's right. That's right. It's- all right, time to move on and come back or talk about uh, the Democratic primary. Beto, 
Uh, yeah, Beto. He announced so Beto O'Rourke wacky announced, waving arm inflatable yes, tube man. Oh yeah, that's right. He announced on Thursday that he's running for president. The 46 year old Democratic former congressman from Texas stated, "Quote: This is a defining moment of truth for the country and for every single one of us." Uh, his entrance into the race is the culmination of his two-year out-of-nowhere rise from backbench Texas congressman, largely unknown outside of El Paso, to Democratic stardom as a record-breaking fundraiser who almost, the key word here is almost, beat Ted Cruz. He still <laughs> lost, right, uh, for a Texas Senate seat. He joins a crowded field of more than a dozen Democrats vying for the party's nomination, yet it's clear many are intrigued by his star power. Uh, Phil, you're our expert on all things Texas. Now that Beto is finally in the race, how do you think his candidacy will impact the Democratic primary? And do you find him as dreamy as everybody else? Oh, Jesus <laughs> Christ. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I, I, my tendency is to say that I think he's overrated. Yes. Um, yes. No, <laughs> Not necessarily that his views are overrated, but that there's a lot of excitement around him. If I had to like step back and and you know make a statement about the impact he's going to have on the Democratic primary, I would be somewhat skeptical. But then I look at the facts, which are that it came out today that he broke. So Bernie Sanders had set the fundraising record for the first 24 hours. He broke that. Like the number of people who are excited about him is surprising to me. But it is what it is, and people are fired up about him. Mm-hmm. And and I think um, he has some stuff going for him. He's he's charismatic. He's young, uh, and he's a relatively blank slate, right? He doesn't have a long history of of stuff to like pin him pin on him. Um, you know, he does. And and part of that is, I don't know that he's been smart, right? He doesn't have. With all of these other, you know, you've Elizabeth Warren, you've got stuff that she's done or said in the past because she's been sort of a national figure, a national figure for a while. Um, So people already have impressions of them. And and because Beto is a blank slate, people can sort of project on him whatever they want. This is this is a really good point, because it it reminds me of Obama. Right there. That was part of the appeal of Obama is that. What, you know, everybody had very different opinions about what Obama was going to do, but you knew he was going to be great, right? And, and yeah. <laughs> you know, Beto may have that appeal where everybody says, I think of Beto this way, even if he's not, that's not Stop who he is. Stop looking for messiahs, okay? This You're not we... going to find one. And the fact that he is a blank slate is the problem. Mm-hmm. You're going to ascribe something to him that he's not. If you look at those videos in detail, he's not that charismatic. He's not a great public speaker. Yeah, he looks like <laughs> the guy at the fucking used car lot. The the blow-up dude. He's just, he's not that charismatic. And I get yeah. it. I get why you, you want him to be. You so want him to be. He's not that person. Could he be? Absolutely. Yeah. And we've said it. He This probably is not his time to run. But in the near future, it could very well be. This is not it. Do something first to show me that you're that person. Wait one. Wait. Just sit this one out. And do just build yourself up a little bit, Nick. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell I you. Don't... Read his quote. This is from Beto. I want to be in it, man. I'm just born to be in it, Nick. I think he put Nick in there too. Did he? Oh <laughs> man, that's so nice. No, I think you're right. This the, the Democrats are looking for somebody to be 
another Obama or another star, and I'm not sure if the if there's enough substance there. And that, that's the great thing about the primary. We'll figure it out pretty quickly. You know, either he's got it or he'll get eaten up. And I will say his first few days in Iowa were not spectacular. His campaign was kind of caught off guard on something. Some of it looked a little awkward. Uh, so, so we'll learn. You know, we'll, he'll he'll have a chance. Yes, we will. I, I think you're you're not wrong on any of that, Nick. And that he's like I, his his rollout has been it's been less than impressive. Mm-hmm. I think um, I, he's not explicit on a lot of his policy stances. Um, there's, you know, there's a lot to be, but I think the thing that I come back around to is that, and yet he's generating excitement, right? So people are giving money. And so, so it can be that, you know, people should get excited about him because of his policy stances. And I'm not sure that they are, but if we come around to the question of what impact is he going to have on the race? He's going to I'm a little surprised, but he's going to have an impact at the rate he's going unless mm-hmm. he really, you know, screws it up. I pulled up predict it. He's now the he's the third. It, it's it's Bernie, um, Biden. Biden and Beto. And they're not that far apart. So he's currently the in third place in terms of markets for the likely Democratic candidate. So mm-hmm. yeah. I think, you know, as much as I'm surprised by that. He is gonna have an impact. He's on. So we're recording that. I don't. I don't know when we're releasing this. I, we talked about it, and I just wasn't listening. Later um, Wednesday. <laughs> yeah. So we're, we're taping on, on Monday. Monday. Yeah. 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 Um, but he's gonna be on campus tomorrow. So this is the beauty of being in in New Hampshire. So oh. all the candidates come to Keene State, and most of them. Uh, you know, uh, so four years ago when this was going on, I, you know, I went to lots of them at the beginning and then you start to feel like every campaign speech is is the same. But I guess here's the thing that I realize uh, that makes me think what I, I don't know what it is about him, because I agree with you, Nick. I don't it's not necessarily policy stances, but he's going to be here and I'm intrigued. Like, I kind of want to go partly because I want to know what he's talking sure. about. I want to hear his policy stances. Mm-hmm. But that's that's a pretty good asset. Mm-hmm. Right just if people are excited then they're going to listen to you and i and i think i i think he'll have an impact i don't think he'll well i if i i, I don't know that i would take that that uh predict it bet but yeah. um I, if i had to guess i wouldn't guess that he's going to be the candidate but i wouldn't be shocked by it yeah. either yeah Also, there was a fair amount of Beto backlash this week as well. He announced, and there was pushback not just from Republicans. Although, did you see the GOP tweeted out a picture of him when he was he was so Beto was picked up for DUI years and years ago. They they tweeted out a picture of that with a like a St. Patrick's hat on him on St. Patrick's Day, and then used the phrase like Irishman or something, you know, which was sort of Irishman. Hey man, you're in the big game now. (laughs) Right, no, that's true. We came to play. There was some pushback both from the GOP, which I think is smart because they they seem as dangerous, but also from Democrats and particularly from women to say like, hey, this guy hasn't done anything and suddenly he's he's consuming all the air. A young white man suddenly throws his hat in the ring and everybody's losing their mind. So, yeah, I'm excited to see how he will do and I I don't think it's guaranteed that he's going to do well. Can you get him on the podcast if he's going to be I, there well, Can, i'm gonna i'm gonna try at some point this year to get some candidate it might be andrew yang or whatever but <laughs> i'm gonna get some presidential candidate on this podcast that would be great love it. if Big you could jump. just like kind of streak through the quad like while he's there that would be ideal <laughs> just chase him down with your microphone there you go <laughs> sir oh. all right let's talk about congress so congress exercised some of its constitutional powers by pushing back on three major issues this last week most notably, it dealt President Trump a political blow by rejecting his declaration of emergency at the border, even if the margins aren't large enough to override his veto. 
beyond Trump's national emergency. The Senate joined the House in voting to end American military aid to Saudi Arabia's war in Yemen in protest over the killing of Jamal Khashoggi. Trump is also expected to veto this as well. And on Thursday, the House voted unanimously to, on a non-binding resolution to make the pub, make public the finding about the special counsel uh, Robert Mueller investigation. Phil, we spent a lot of time on this podcast talking about Congress's relinquishing of its constitutional powers. Do you think this is a sign they may take some of it back? Um, <laughs> it's not a bad sign, right? It's better that they're doing this than not doing it. I don't take a whole lot of hope from this that this is like a dramatic turn of events. I mean, the, the things that you're talking about are... Uh, you know, I, some of it, I think, has to do with um, the changing of, of power in Congress, right, that the Democrats control the House. And part of it has to do with the uniqueness of these particular issues. Um, the the Mueller investigation is, uh, you know, so that's a non-binding resolution. Yeah. Um, so there's there's no cost to voting on that. Uh, but having said that, right, we talked last week about how there were Republicans who didn't vote on the the resolution to condemn hate, hate. right? So, <laughs> so even when it's like an unimportant, <laughs> yes. like no, you know, cost free thing, it doesn't mean that they'll vote it, vote for it. Um, and I think we, you know, we talked a little bit in the past few weeks about the uh, national emergency thing, which I think cuts across party lines, and that you have Democrats who are opposed to the policy and some Republicans who are opposed to the approach, right? So it's the, the separation of powers thing. Having said that, it's encouraging, right? We've talked a lot about partisanship and how that has, has seemingly dictated a lot of stuff. So the fact that Republicans are willing to break with the president um, on something that they believe in is encouraging. It's discouraging that it took a potential question of like constitutional powers to get it to yes. that point. Um, so, yeah, I mean, all that to say, I think, I, am I encouraged? Sure. Am I optimistic that this is like a new era in politics? No. <laughs> Nick, are you? <laughs> Nick set the, I'm sorry, Phil set the bar low. I'm actually mildly optimistic yeah. about this. Okay. Yes. So the Yemen thing, whatever, that's easy. The Khashoggi thing, that's also yeah. easy. What's interesting about the national emergency thing is not necessarily, um, about the the override veto realistically i think that's political theater on the part of the republicans saying that we did this and then yeah. that it whatever it's it looks oh. good um it's it's good pc um what is interesting is there's now legislation that was introduced by senator mike lee that would require congress to pass a resolution approving future national emergency declarations within 30 days so they're going to be the champion of this now to rein in future presidents which realistically i i think is i think it's good from a strategic standpoint for the republicans but it's good from an institutional standpoint as well which is something that i've said this is the moment when both parties can come together to rein in executive power, take back the power that was initially ascribed to mm -hmm. Congress and that they should have. Um, and if we see more instances of this, I think this is a really positive development. Um, yeah, most of this stuff is 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 just nonsense. Um, but that the 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 National Emergencies Act um, that that says something that's a big deal yeah. when you try and take yeah. back executive privilege and power and 
and that might be the way it happened. Like that's now that you say that, I I'm slightly more encouraged <laughs> because when you when it's abstract like that, right? You can get people to agree about the the process easier than you can get them to agree about the specific subject matter. So when it's a vote on Donald Trump's policy, you may not be able to get that support, but a, a broader discussion of sh you know how should presidents handle this in the future. Maybe we will get something. We'll mm -hmm. see. I, I'm not optimistic at all. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I agree. I, I, I would I would love to see some legislation more narrowly defining what a national emergency is. If that happens, I'm really excited. But when it comes to the national emergency, they're, 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 Congress is not going to override the veto, which they should, right? I mean, they should say that not from a partisan issue. It doesn't shouldn't matter about the wall, whether you're pro or anti-wall. You should be pushing back on this because these are powers that Congress has. And if we're not going to give them to you via voting for it, we're not going to take them the other way. Same thing with Yemen. If you're going to assert yourself and say that we're against this because of the killing of a journalist or because of the ethical issues of Yemen, the war in Yemen, when the president vetoes it, you should come back with even higher majorities to say it's not going to happen. Hmm. But neither will, right? I mean, the Congress, yeah. there were a handful of Republicans that jumped over, but I'm guessing there's not going to be this mass movement, uh, which would really send the signal that we need. And again, I'm not thinking about this in terms of partisan lens, but in terms of the institutions of the democracy. So I, I, if they did that, then I would be very, very excited. But the levers of democracy, it's extremely slow. Yes. Really, any progress at this point, I think, is, is a net positive. I, I would find it... Real and not um, disconcerting at the very least, and and kind of frightening if they immediately moved uh, when these instances came up that there was a massive majority that would push back against this because I think there is there's nuance in all of these things. Um, sure, you can talk about the efficacy of of the uh, the the war in in Yemen and, and our involvement there. Um, and then the national security issue or national emergency issue obviously has political ramifications for individual parties to think that a majority would do that in any situation. I, I don't think is a realistic expectation, but if there is this kind of groundswell movement where we can start to move back into a more balanced mm -hmm. ecosystem, governmental ecosystem, I, I think that's a, positive thing absolutely i mean if if the institution could be more important than the the partisanship i mean right now with the supreme court is the only institution that is above partisanship both the presidency and the congress aren't so mm -hmm. yeah fingers crossed nick fingers crossed <laughs> all right let's jump to brexit which is just we're so, finally gonna talk about it's just, it it's more stupid phil and you gotta explain because we're taping on monday so by wednesday all of this is going to be irrelevant because there's gonna right. be six more stupid things that have happened no it'll but, be in ruins by then <laughs> that could mm -hmm. happen so all right, UK Prime Minister Theresa May has asked her colleagues to make a honorable compromise. I love that. And pass her Brexit deal, a deal they've already rejected two times previously uh, as she seeks to persuade them to take uh, back her Brexit deal at the third time. May is expected to bring her withdrawal agreement back to the Commons for a vote sometime this week. Uh, but apparently the speaker is said he doesn't even want to entertain this vote, so it's not even clear that the vote's going to take place. Uh, last week, the parliament rejected this deal and then voted to delay breakfast. Brexit breakfast. <laughs> no one's having breakfast Delaying from now breakfast on. Delaying breakfast is yeah. never. A good That's right. Idea. That would not pass. No. It's just all, brunch. That's right. It's all very confusing. And if we're honest, stupid. Uh, the whole process makes the Trump and U.S. government look like a finely tuned machine. Mm. Phil, you're a member of the British House of Lords. Uh, what are we to make of these developments? Should we be worried? <laughs> Duke, uh, Duke of Sandwich, <laughs> Earl of Sandwich. That's right, Earl. <laughs> 
Um, what should we make of it? I mean, this is we're stuck in the same place we've been stuck for a long time with Britain. Like nothing is like they continue to try to do the same thing over and over <laughs> again, and it continues to fail over and over again. And they're so deeply divided, essentially three ways that I, I just don't see a solution here. I mean, I, it's kind of insane that the, that, that Theresa May is still in power and that government hasn't just collapsed and called a new election, but everyone's afraid of what might happen, whether it's a new election for parliament or whether it's a new vote on Brexit. Um, and so nobody's willing to go down those roads and they're trying to find other avenues um, to come to some sort of solution. But this, with the structure of parliament, with the, the breakdown in party as it is, nothing's going to come of it. So it, it, they, they continue to sort of, you know, beat their head against the same wall over and over again. I, I still, I, it still comes, I, I just can't see any, uh, any way out of this other, I mean, either they're going to have a no deal exit or they're going to have to have another referendum. Mm -hmm. I don't know any other way to get this done. Yep. Um, and in the end, you know, whether you are opposed to that, whether you have sort of a, uh, you know, a, a, a principled view that, that they voted on it once and they shouldn't vote again. It, it's just, there's just no other way at this point. So even if you have to hold your nose to do it, you do it. And if the majority of, of Britons think that, um, they shouldn't leave, then there's your out. If the majority of Britain still think you should go, then that at least supports Theresa May's, Theresa May's argument and she can get her party and others behind her. Mm -hmm. I just don't know any other solution, but I'm not convinced that anyone in the British government is willing to mm -hmm. do that. And so I, it's the, 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 the alternative is if nobody does it, they have a no deal Brexit mm -hmm. and that's going to be devastating <laughs> oh. if that happens. Mm -hmm. Nick. What, we're less than, we're two weeks away at this point? March 29th. March Although, 29th. They're probably, they voted to delay. So as long as the EU says you can delay, they'll get the delay. Which I think the EU is getting tired of this shit at this exactly. point. Exactly. So I, I used to, I felt bad for, for Theresa May for a long time because she's she's got a really, she got a raw deal on, on all of this. Now it's, it's put up or shut up you either like you said phil it's either there's going to be a hard brexit and we're going to deal with the consequences or we need to hold a referendum immediately um regardless of what the political ramifications of that are um and what it you know the the perceptions of you know changing the opinion of of the uh, the the populace is um something needs to be done now you're just trying to continuously push through failed policies that clearly nobody is interested in but I, I like something needs to happen in the next week or this is going to go very very yeah. badly um, hey, really, go, go ahead go ahead I didn't mean to cut you off no I, I, I think this is this this is the week to do something and it will determine the the, the future of of um, the the British political system for for I mean, at least the next year. I mean, yeah. this this is this is bad if yeah. they don't make some sort any decision at this point. Because if you're not I, going to do yes. a soft Brexit, you better start prepping for a, a hard one. And you, you clearly yeah. have done nothing. But they voted against the hard Brexit. Like, no, oh, no, we don't want that. We don't no. want that. That's too extreme, right? But well, yeah. that, I, I think that's where it's it's like distant and abstract. I, I, this is where Theresa May needs to. I, I, if I were her, I mean, I don't. 
I'm sure there are people who know more about British politics who would tell me why this is stupid, but um, I don't know why she doesn't go in and say, we're voting this again for a third time on my deal. And if it does not pass, I'm asking the queen to call new elections immediately, mm-hmm. right? So you, you put a cost on it, right? Her party either has to get behind her or they have to face the prospect that the, her party is going to lose control of parliament right. um, and, 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 and do that. And that's the old, it's just this whole idea of nobody, I can't get people behind me, so I'll just try the same thing again, just has to stop. Yeah, yeah. Well, and the other thing is, there's there are political angles to this, but what we see is the United Kingdom is deeply, deeply divided. I think you made this point, Phil. London is is pro EU, but once you get outside of London, mm-hmm. I mean, this this divide is deep and meaningful. So these this is the globalism discussion, exactly, all over right? I mean, it's not this is not like what we like, you know, we kind of like EU. It is like no, we want to pull away. We still think the Brexit vote was the right vote. So I think if they had another referendum, maybe it would pass, but it would still be really, really close because mm-hmm. it's just yeah. it is the cleavages <laughs> that are, have emerged are, are dramatic. It's all David Cameron's fault. Mm-hmm. They should bring him back and have him call for the next vote. <laughs> you know? I really think they should just dissolve the government and go back to the monarchy at this point. It would yeah. be so much. Wouldn't that be fun? The queen oh, is still strong. She's got, she's got some good years left. <laughs> all right, we've saved this for the final topic. Bonkers. Trump's tweets. So Trump had quite the Sunday Twitter storm. Uh, the president once again attacked Senator John McCain, who died in August from complications from brain cancer. The president attacked McCain over his role in sharing the infamous dossier with the FBI, which was inaccurate, uh, but also added that McCain, quote, had, had worse stains on his record, including the senator's dis- uh, decisive vote against repealing the Affordable Care Act. He also defended Fox News personalities Janine Pirro and Tucker Carlson, who have been under attack for insensitive comments they made. Trump tweeted, quote, radical left Democrats working closely with their beloved partner, the fake news media, is using every trick in the book to silence, all caps, a majority of our country. He then went on to say, quote, stop working so hard on being politically correct. The losers all want what you have. Be strong and prosper. Be weak and die. Nick, that's, that's fantastic. Not that's great. He, he closed by calling on everyone to quote keep fighting for Tucker and fight hard for Judge Deneen. Phil, this is some seriously odd and troubling behavior. Both Carlson and Pirro are under pressure for deeply offensive comments, and for the life of me, I can't understand why Trump would continue to attack McCain. He's dead. I mean, his the, the ghost. He's a very strong oh, ghost. Yeah, I think he's got his arms back. They're working oh, right. And just the voodoo rituals aren't working anymore. Oh. And he's very upset it's, about it. It's weird. Phil, help me understand. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I can. I mean, I, the, the, thing, the thing I come back around to with Trump is, is again that if you assume that he is like you, <laughs> then it's hard to understand what right. he's doing. But I think if you assumed that he's, you know, some, I don't know, a, a, a deeply insecure person or yeah. narcissist or whatever, like there's some personality disorder <laughs> at play here. Uh, if that's the case, then it starts to make a little more sense. I mean, it, it is bizarre, yeah. right? If we look at this, and we talked earlier about with the 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 New Zealand shooting, it doesn't make sense that he wouldn't, in my mind, that he wouldn't just condemn it. The 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 um, the Piero and Carlson thing. I mean, so Carlson was, you know, talking about what defending sex with underage women, right? Yeah, and we'll some, talk about it. 
Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, a number of things, right? Yeah. He, Tucker Carlson has, uh, he's in the last few years sort of gone off the deep end. And, and Janine Pirro was making uh, essentially anti-Muslim comments. Um, for him to be fighting for them is just a weird thing. Yeah. Um, Fox News pushed back, especially against uh, Pirro, right, to mm, say this is right, inappropriate. Where right. you got to you got to think about what you said. Uh, and he was mad because she wasn't on. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So I mean, all of this, I I, I don't know. My the thing I take from it is something happened yesterday. <laughs> like he, he seems to, like he he does he seems seems to go on these tirades when something bad comes out about him, right? When there's some news story about Mueller or about, you know, Cohen or whatever. And I just can't help but wonder what happened on Sunday. What was the thing that occurred that made him feel the need to go yeah. this far? It ruined his St. Patrick's Day, man. I would be pissed, too. Oh, <laughs> that's real bad. I will say, so, you know, you were mentioning uh, diagnosis. George Conway, uh, yeah, what's her name? Uh, yeah, Con- her husband has yeah. been tweeting out diagnoses for trump and Jesus. i will say him on t he, he on twitter is fantastic but his his good. most brilliant one <laughs> is narcissistic personality disorder he has he has all the descriptions of the it fits trump to a t God. it's it's good i saw a weird George Conway tweeted something today that just said it's getting worse or he's getting worse or something like that that marriage is going to end in a murder suicide how or does, something how, how does that how how do they, i don't know yeah, at the end of the That's day it's just got to be a cage death match every night because george conway his whole day is tweeting against trump and he's a smart guy he's a well-connected guy mm-hmm. and kellyanne conway is obviously in the administration how come trump hasn't attacked george i mean it's, it's weird I, I i would assume he's afraid that kellyanne would leave but it's weird. I, I, I don't know. So, uh, yeah, the the Twitter tirade is bizarre, to say the least. Um, and I agree. Somebody shit in his oatmeal or something. Um, it's it's just weird. In terms of the Tucker thing, like the, the Janine Shapiro thing, she just sounded like an asshole. And yeah. she probably is. So we're not even going to deal with that thing. The Tucker thing was from like 10 years ago when yeah. he was on a shock jock radio show. Um at the time, he was working for MSNBC, as I recall, too, and they didn't seem to censor him at that point. And there was a, a they, um, I forgot what specific group released this, uh, this oh, audio Media Matters. Report. Media left, Matters, left that's week. what it was. Yeah, 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 yeah. those assholes. Um, released this, and then he didn't apologize, so then they released another instance of, of him saying something. And it's just this gotcha, tell-on-you culture, which... Realistically, I like, eh. but they are his words, Nick. They are his words, but you have to like. If we're going to talk about context in the media, if we're talking about ten years ago on Bubba the Love Sponge's radio show, it's uh, there Bubba needs the to be like, sponge. come on, man. Is that actually the name? That's the yes, <laughs> yes. But here's the thing: I, I I am totally in agreement that when we go back and we're reading like college papers and whatnot. But this, I mean, he was a media personality at this point. Why didn't MSNBC do something? Well, they maybe should have, right? Well, I mean, yeah. but, but they're his words so I'm not saying Fox should fire him but if we're talking about free speech he's we have the there there should be a right to bring those up and he should have to speak to them mm-hmm. right and he should say you know because he I mean he was very I mean he denigrating to Iraqis I mean it was some pretty brutal stuff right and he should either have to say I'm sorry like I've evolved or no this is still where I'm at 
Um, no, he, there's there's a third option and go, you're taking this out of context and there's there's a joking element to this too. Oh, but ju- but his, 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 he wasn't denigrating towards Iraqis, right? He described them as monkeys who can't yes. wipe their own right. ass or something like that. And that's not a joke that's like on a show. I mean, that's, even if that is a joke, that's a terrible joke, right? You you're right. Be, there are tons of terrible jokes. Feel... No one said he's a comedian. Right. I, so... I, I think I mean terrible in a different way. Okay. <laughs> I guess I think with Tucker Carlson, there's a, there's enough stuff that he's said on his own TV show in the last six months that we could have a debate about yeah. who he is and whether or not he should be hosting a TV show sure. on national TV. We, yeah. um, and it feels it, very, it, fairly consistent, right? He maybe was a bit over the top in those older comments, but it's not inconsistent with what he's saying today. No, you're right. You can also have a discussion about the the head of Media Matters and his little indiscretions and blogs that he did previously and every other person that's on TV at this point. Absolutely. I mean, I I don't have any problem with that. If we're talking about speech, more speech is better speech, right? And I don't... Not necessarily. Well, I don't think... I I, I don't know. I I don't like this idea. I don't like Tucker's defense, which is like you go back and you're pulling this stuff. No, those... Those were things that you said. You're right. You should have to be held accountable for them. It's not like we're going back when you're, you know, and and either explain them, defend them. But his whole thing is like, I'm not going to respond to it. No, he said he's not going to apologize for it. Are you okay? Is there an alien in that room? Uh, (laughs) No. Yeah, I'm fine. (laughs) So the other thing is, so to to kind of bring back to Trump, like this felt yesterday, you know, Nick, we're Seinfeld fans. Remember, like, the airing of the grievances? Yes. This felt like... Trump watched that episode and was like, I'm <laughs> I'm gonna tweet up on all the things I'm pissed off about. And yes. that's what it was. It was going after I mean, it wasn't just the, those two elements. He also was going after, you know, car companies and I mean he was Oh, all, trust I agree. He was off his fucking rocker he at that retweeted point. He tweeted the Pizzagate guy a couple times. I mean, this was like oh, of all he tweeted a, a like a all out white nationalist. Yes. Several yes. people Twice. who had yeah. like, direct white nationalist references in their Twitter account that he was retweeting. Yes. Yeah. If we're talking about in the context of Trump, yeah, it's fucking batshit crazy. Well, and it made me think of, so we had this conversation, whether it was last week or the week before, about impeachment. I can't think of any other president in modern history, if they'd had a day like that, where the whole universe wouldn't be saying, like, it's time to move forward. See, but this is why it's a positive, because we get to do that with every president from now on. They can just go off the fucking reservation, and it's gonna be, it's gonna be okay. You wanted to go back to normal, Nick. I want to go back to normal, too. Because <laughs> I kept thinking, I sent you guys a couple tweets yesterday, and, and whoa, he was calling it for, he said that the Democrats stole, tried to steal an election, they tried to steal another election. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, nobody responded to that. I mean, like, the world didn't respond to that, and my thought was like that's a really disturbing tweet we should be talking about this tweet <laughs> and it just kind of was out there and yeah this is like i mean this goes back to our initial conversation that this medium for putting information out there is terrible for everybody yeah. it's 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 it doesn't challenge you to try and make yourself better it just it appeals to your your base instincts and it it gives people who ascribe to those types of mindsets fuel for just nonsense and it just it needs to stop it's not going to get better no it's not going to get better if you think that presidents going forward they may be more tactful um more traditional but the the genies the genies out of the out of the the lamp at this point is it bottle or lamp 
They always both. Either yeah, either, either or. Yeah. Whatever. Depends on the genie. Yeah. Uh, the Robin Williams one or the Christine yeah. Christina Aguilera one, whichever one you choose. <laughs> that was my reaction when I saw that tweet. We go to go back to Beto. That when the GOP tweeted that that picture of Beto, right? That that was a sign that this is going to become more mainstream. Uh, Trump is just bad. He's I, changed I, the world. I still think that as crazy as all the stuff he was tweeting is, I, the 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 story is what, like what is going on hmm. with him? Like what yeah. happened yesterday that led him to do this? If he were, if it weren't for Twitter and he were just saying these things, like running around <laughs> in the streets yelling these things, you'd be like, that guy's crazy. Something has happened, right? So what? what I, I still want to know what happened. Like, what is the thing that happened on Sunday that led to that? That's the part that concerns me. That's right? the big question. The stuff yeah. he's saying is scary. <laughs> is weird is out there but the fact that he's saying all of this is revealing that something is not like that's just not that's not sound behavior from a president i'm still not understanding why why no one has taken that phone away yeah i, yeah, I don't I get it he, he, just, he just get another one no that's that's a good point uh, oh this is fun dick oh it's so tiring <laughs> <laughs> um oh jesus can you stall for two oh seconds? sure yeah, yeah. While Nick is uh, pulling up the sound, uh, if you like us, follow us on Twitter and Facebook and all the other things. And tell your friends, right? We're starting to grow numbers-wise. Keep spreading the, the word. Yes. Uh, yeah. Twitter at Barstool Paul, uh, P-O-L. Facebook at Barstool Politics. Uh, the podcast, sound, uh, um, uh, iTunes, uh, Spotify, SoundCloud, um, Spotify. Stitcher, Google Play Music, most major podcasting platforms. Beer reviews uh, on Untapped. Download that on, on iOS or an, uh, Android. Wow, I'm really struggling today. Um, yeah, just look for Barstool Politics and you'll find our uh, beer reviews on there. Uh, and then Predict It, obviously. Uh, Predict It is a, a real money political prediction market where you can buy and sell shares uh, in future political events. Barstool Politics listeners, uh, when you're opening up a new account, uh, you'll receive up to a $20 match on your first deposit. Um, so if you open up a $20 account, Predicted will match that $20, giving you $40 to use on Predicted, which is great. Um, definitely check uh, something. The music went down. Um, <laughs> check out the Democratic candidates, um, you know, national emergency stuff. Uh, there's lots of good markets on there to, uh, to try and make some money off of. Um, so check it out because I've said that many times. Uh, anything else? No. This is fun, Nick. Lord of Lord of Sandwich. <laughs> I'm, I am good. Subways. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're gonna give you guys. We're actually gonna take next week off. We have a special episode with um, senior legal analyst uh, Tom Cavanaugh, who uh, is gonna talk to us about some congressional stuff. We'll leave that as a surprise. Yeah. But uh, that'll be out uh, next week, uh, same time, same place. So check that out. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. See you guys in a couple weeks. Cheers. Yeah. Cheers. Aloha. <laughs>